Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Eight hundred eight two three eight two five five. Good morning. I am Ron Wilson. I am your personal yard boy. We are talking about gardening on this beautiful Saturday in June. What do you say? I mean, what do you say that we kick this off with the cup of Joe? We call the segment the cup of Joe because the host of the segment happens to be Joe Strecker. See the Joe and the Joe, cup of Joe, Joe Strecker. And Joe just happens to be our executive producer. He takes care of our website at ronwilsononline.com, as well as our Facebook page, which is In the Garden with Ron Wilson. And it's always, a, it's always a pleasure to have Joe on with us at the beginning of each show. Is it a really a pleasure? Get us started. Let us know what's going on out there. And he also lets us know what's going on in his wife's lawn and landscape and garden and things like that as well. So, Joe, That's welcome. Good, good to have you here this pleasure morning. pleasure thing's debatable. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I'm sure there are some listeners out there like, not this again. Yeah. Well, they can just turn it off. Turn it back on. 15 minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Can you What's believe up? Can you believe it's already almost the middle of June? Uh, no. And and then I, someone reminded me that next Sunday is Father's Day. Yep. Sure is. And that's also the first day of summer. Mm-hmm. Astronomical summer. Meteorological summer's already been. I know. Done. I mean, I was just thinking about it the other day. Um when it was Thursday, I, I was like, wow, it's already Thursday. And it's it's just like shot up, you know, just pew. Yep. The week. Next thing you know, it's, it's the week is just Time flying. flies when you're having fun. I guess. And obviously you're having a lot of fun. Apparently. Apparently. Uh, somebody has to tell you that? Someone needs to tell me that, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I see. But yeah, it's it's been, it's, it's I can't believe it's already the middle of June. And that, that means the kids have got, what? See four, about eight, four, eight weeks till they go back to school. Not even that, like <laughs> six weeks. Because a lot six, of them are starting weeks. earlier, right? Six, seven weeks. Are their schools starting um, earlier? Than I you? believe they are supposed to start middle of August this year. Yeah, with no fall break and doing all that stuff where people. Right. Are and out that, and this was even before the whole virus thing. Right. Um, that they were they were going to start early, hmm. like two weeks before Labor Day. So, wow, it's it's yeah, it's crazy. Wow, it's already, and uh, Joe, the next start- thing you know, you're gonna be walking them down the aisle. Oh, thanks. Now I just aged right before your very yeah, eyes. Trust me, you will age right before your own very eyes. So, <laughs> so I'm it not, happens, man. Not thinking about that right now. No. I'm just trying to get through high school. That's exactly right. Uh, man, it 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 got humid and hot this past week. Didn't it, it did, and then that front came through and. Brought Knocked us, it down. Pulled it back it down. down. It's been I a like great it. couple days so far, and I think this weekend's still a good feels, one. So. Feels really nice. Yeah, I got some projects to do out in in the house. It's not certainly not outside the house. 
I got some some projects. What do you mean inside. not outside the house? Well, I got I got some I got some honeydew things to do, but it's in, all inside. Oh, because the outside's already done. Oh yeah, she did a great job on the outside. Oh okay, so now we're on the inside. So now we're working on some things that are save inside. the inside for the warmer weather. Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Are we now, using a new patio furniture yet? Almost nightly. We're using the fire pit. Um, I wish it was more more often than we have yeah. been, but but yeah, we're we're still using it. No marshmallows. Not on the fire pit. No, because it could drip down on there. And Do that on the grill. Yeah. Wrap them up in tin foil and put them on the grill. Wrap up marshmallows on tin foil. Well, if you're going to do s'mores, I didn't say anything about s'mores. I just said, oh no, we're not roasting marshmallows over the hot dogs. Or, no, we're not on doing a that. Stick. Oh, okay. Just what? checking. What? This is a. I don't know. Okay, Huck Finn. We're not going to be doing that. Okay? Huck Finn. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so. I got a fence on one. You help me paint. <laughs> well, how about my friends do it? Okay. Um. Anyway, so yeah, it's been, it's. I got. I do have a question. Um, we played a cauliflower this year. Yes. Okay. Yes. And it started to come up. We started yeah. to see where it was like, ooh, that's cauliflower. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the cauliflower started to shoot up. Right. I guess you can't pick that anymore to eat. Is it can flowering you? now? Um. Yeah. Coming. It out bolted. The, so hot weather made it bolt. So should so should we have picked it earlier when it was still yeah. on the ground? Or? Yeah. Probably, and a lot of times folks will take that leaves and kind of pull it around, that cauliflower to keep it nice and white and it doesn't bolt quite as early. But when it gets starts to get really hot and you get some hot temperatures, all of a sudden it just wants to go to flower and seed. Yeah, okay. So probably that's what's happened. Yeah, because, well, because they weren't that big. I mean, they were right. maybe the size of a You're ping not gonna, pong ball. Yeah. Maybe, because we're not going to grow them like a, like a farm. No, no, you wouldn't. But, but it was maybe like the size of a ping pong ball, maybe a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, oh, these are almost ready because we actually we were thinking they were going to get bigger, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden they shot up, and it's like, well, obviously we can't pick these now. You know what? Even the that when we had that freeze, yeah, did it happen right after that? Because sometimes really even close, the yeah. really cold temperature will cause them to do that also because mm-hmm. it stresses the plant. Yeah. So now they just say, uh, and they bolt and they seed and then that's they're it. Done. They're done. We got to yeah. just take them out, I guess. Unfortunately. Okay. Uh, strawberries are looking good. Ooh. Strawberries. Got a bumper crop of strawberries this year. Did you do June bearing or ever bearing? I don't know. Whichever the garden favorite gave me. <laughs> Are they a little smaller? Do you get them all summer long? Uh, so far, yeah. Uh, so you have probably have ever bearing then. I don't remember. I don't remember either. But you get them off and on all summer. You have to garden fairy. Uh, I'll check back to the records and see. What, okay. <laughs> maybe the garden fairy would have those. Stuff. But yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's a bumper crop of uh, cool. strawberries. Good. Um, Are they ripening? Yeah. And and we're not even waiting. We're just oh, there's a red one, and just pick it, pick it, and eat it. I still remember my grandson Kellen when he had his own little containers of uh, everbearing. Couldn't wait for me to get there. And he's like a year old. He would pick a green one and eat it and go, oh. mm, Grandpa, mmm, strawberries. And say no, Kellen, only pick the red ones. <laughs> oh, come on, Grandpa. Have a... No, let's uh, let's wait till they turn red. And those we'll were a little sour. Uh, yeah, even the dog knew to pick them when they were red. So <laughs> Goodness. that's funny. We taught him though. That's well, yeah. But that was his. That was his own little planting Good. of strawberries. I think he still has some. Good. If I'm not mistaken. Good. Uh, any guests today on the show? We Other do have me. just. We we do. We're going to talk about rain gardens today. We have Amanda Hurry from the Nuri. I'm sorry, from the uh, Great Parks of Hamilton County. He's going to talk about rain gardens and mm-hmm. what they are and whether you should have one. You think you should have one in your backyard? Gotcha. Do you? 
do we have a do you, do you think you should have one in your backyard I'm, apparently room? we should well you need to listen and find out i guess so she's going to tell you why and then gary sullivan and then of course buggy joe boggs right and of course we always kick it off with you and uh, the website, again, is... RonWilsonOnline.com. Or a.k.a. BuggyJoeBoggs.com. Well, come on as, now. Not as much as last week. Yeah. Maybe he's taking a little break, but... Yeah. Um, there's plenty of... The, well, what's... Why is my tree blowing bubbles? What the heck is that? Do you like that? That's actually that's a pretty interesting article. After a rainfall and you look at the base of a tree and also you see bubbles around the bottom. It's just a little reaction that they have. And a and, one. And, and, and a two. <laughs> Sorry. And who was that? <laughs> that was uh, Lawrence Welk. Good. Didn't think you remember that. See? So, Lawrence yeah. Welk, it's every kind, Saturday kind of, night. That's kind of interesting. You know what's my, funny? When we were kids, tree couldn't bubbles. stand watching that show. As I got older, then it was kind of interesting to watch it because it was so. Well, I didn't like watching it because my mom and dad watched it. Well, exactly. Because now I was like, oh, not just this thing. Just think how long that show had been around because that's the same thing when my parents were watching. Right. Yep, and a one and a two, and it's blown bubbles. Yep. Anyway, it's a great, interesting article why why they would be doing that. So check it out. Uh, plant of the week, redbirds. I love this plant. Redbirds in a tree. I like this plant too. I think that'd be a pretty cool plant. Redbirds in a tree. I have to go to my favorite garden store and get me one. What a great name! Yeah, redbirds in a tree. Yeah, that looks pretty cool. Why would you call it redbirds in a tree? Because the flowers when they when they flower, they look like little birds. They look like a cardinal. It's the coolest thing, and they're all over it, and they're standing out on this big flower stalk, and they're real small, but when you get up close, you're like, oh my gosh, they do look like red they birds. Do. So yeah, it's a perennial, it's they're tough, great. it's durable, native, it's a, it's a great pollinator. Hummingbirds love it, but it's mm-hmm. called red birds in a tree. And of course, June is perennial gardening month, so we're keeping well, up with the uh, perennial theme. And the, the cool part about it is, is it's really drought tolerant, isn't it? Very drought tolerant, yes. Especially for our area, when yeah. we get those really... Probably mid July, mid July to August when it doesn't yep. rain here anymore. That thing's still yep. hanging in there, and yep. it flowers uh, pretty much from this point right on through the summer and into the fall. Good red birds in a tree. Red birds in a tree. Uh, Rita's recipe of the week is a little Father's Day preview. Uh, strawberry pie. We were talking about strawberry. Do you like strawberry earlier. pie? I like strawberry pie. Do you like strawberry pie with the strawberry gel in it? Yes. Okay, not just plain old like strawberry. No, no, no. Ba- Got to have the gel. I like that gel in there, too. Got to have the gel. Yeah. Now, more whipped cream and less pie or less more pie and less whipped cream? Um, Yes. Yeah. (laughs) My mom used to say, you want some pie with that whipped cream? (laughs) No. That's fine. What are you talking about? I'm good. Yeah, I'm I'm fine. (laughs) So strawberry pie. Mm, Strawberry strawberry pie. pie. That sounds really, really good. It does. Mm -mm -mm. Mm. Every last. And look, look who's shaking his head. Yes, it was. Dr. Z? The Durango kid. I didn't realize he was in town. <laughs> oh, the Durango kid's also nodding. Well, that's yeah. because he's, and he's, he's got a little, and he's got a little ge- strawberry gelatin around his because face. Because his mouth is full of it. Because yeah, I know. He, he kind of bogarted all the strawberry Rita, pie. Rita gives it. I, I never understood that. I don't either. It was you and, and every producer. She just, they get the food when I get nothing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You get nothing. We get nothing, Joe. We get nothing. And you used to get the food, too, and now you I don't get it to, either. I don't get Jack anymore. Nothing. That's unbelievable. Durango gets to scarf it down. Well, you know, he can enjoy it. He, could he deserves it. it, though. Yes. He works hard. Because he works hard. Because so, without the Durango kid. The show don't go. That doesn't, no, that was that you. doesn't quite have the same ring. Just That was just you. Okay. Joe and Go rhyming. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now I get it. 
So it's time for me to head on out. That's yeah. it. Maybe I can go. Maybe I no should. No moss. Maybe I should go to uh, uh, Freshers and get a strawberry pie baby. Ooh, ooh, yeah, strawberry pie. Those baby ones. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, They're ooh. bite size. If you do, bring a couple back with you. Okay, I'll make sure I do that. Yeah, you won't. Not. <laughs> I won't see you. You're gone. You're out of here. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much, Durango. I'll go out maybe during a break and get us one. I'm sure. I'm sure you will. If you can eat another one after you've already had the one Rita gave. <laughs> All right, our website <laughs> is Ron Wilson, <laughs> RonWilsonOnline.com. Facebook page, In the Garden with Ron Wilson. If you like what you see on both of those, guess what? This guy right next to me here, Joe Strecker, he had everything to do with it. But if you see something under you don't really like. Not my fault. wasn't his fault. So call. Call the Durango Kid. The Durango Kid. Let him know about Phone it. Phone lines are open right now. Phone lines are open. 800. Even, even for Dr. Z. 800-823-8255. Here in the Garden with Ron Wilson. Dr. Z. Joe Strecker. And the Durango Kid. Got gardening questions? Ron has the answers at 1-800-823-TALK. You're in the Garden with Ron Wilson. Good morning. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. Absolutely gorgeous. Last two days this weekend. No excuses for you. Get outside. Get in. Uh, keep working out in that yard and garden. Um, boy, I tell you what, it's just absolutely beautiful. Kind of putting the finishing touches on the Wilson patio. Um, beautiful outside right now, too. Oh, it's beautiful outside this morning. Get out. If you're not, just go sit on the deck and listen to our show. Drink your coffee or whatever. Watch that sun come up. But uh, absolutely gorgeous. You couldn't ask for better weather in the middle of June. Mm -mm -mm. Can't ask for it. But we got it, so take advantage of it. All right, 800-823-8255. To date, we go. Lee, good morning. Good morning. How are we? Uh, We are enjoying the last few cold days, and then I guess looking at the 10-day forecast, you don't need Rob Roberts to tell me that um, that, uh, it's going to be too hot. (laughs) But I had... These lights, I'm using it, using every minute of it. Good. All right, so I got some transplant questions. All right. And, and by the way, you you can imagine what I think about rain barrel gardening. It's like growing vegetables, a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I will listen. Um, okay, I got a couple of cleanup items. Mm-hmm. I still have two of this struggling, I guess you would call those regular um, like lighter green hollies. I forget, and you said you didn't sell them anymore because they don't do well? Well, the blue hollies? No, the blue hollies I love. I used okay. them at six foot one. Now it's, now it's six inches, but, you know, life goes on. Yep. So, so we look the, at the, the lighter green ones, you know, the blue hollies are dark, and they have a stiffer stem than those. And I think I, I used to have them all the way across the front, mm-hmm. and there's only two left. And I was going to pop those out. When I got the Mahonia for the front, yet, yeah, but I haven't got that yet, and I think I'm getting late, and I need to get them out of there. Well, I'll tell you what, Mahonia has been, we it's been hard to find. We have not been able to find it ourselves. Come to my 
my backyard. <laughs> I have the regular kind. I mean, this thing is huge, and I've cut it back and cut it back and cut it back. So, well, should I make another choice? Um, I, I, I'm serious. I, I have that whole front. I don't see it on the horizon as far as coming in this spring. Oh. It may be a fall, it may be a fall one, and I don't know well, why. Um, I, I mean, don't, you know, I think it's a neat plant. It's a neat plant. I, it, you know, it doesn't get used like it used to. Um, I think a lot of folks don't know about it, and so production on it in other nurseries, including ours, has been very low. You know, yeah, we just I don't sell that many. Online, but you, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's been a tough one uh, trying to find Too that. Too late year. or just try it. Uh, just pop them out and put them in. They're in um, north side, so there's high open shade. Is there, and still, I do have a little bit of money, morning some spot that I can stick them back in. Well, which would work perfectly for them. Are they? Are they? Are they put out their new growth already? A little bit. They they don't like where they are. See that, that that's the problem you get into sometimes when you move yeah. while that new growth is coming out. Sometimes you can just lose all of that. And if you do, I don't think I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think there's enough lose. Then go for it. The, then measure. Then pop okay, and go, and you got two great the, days to do it. The first time in my life, I am going to, if I can find him, a nursery, I'm going to buy flats of ivy uh, and myrtle because mine all died out, and I don't want to wait for it. Mm-hmm. So the stuff that I had transplanted, but when you do, is it too late to use the flats, or, no. or would it be better if I went with a bigger plug and let it grow out well obviously if you use quart pots or gallon pots it's going to be easier to water but i think you know the 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 flats where you put yeah i know the flats where you pull them apart and put them in there as long as you get them in there get them watered and get a little mulch around them you're good to go if you had a lot to do i i do the flats okay and then what's the one last one hurley think about it oh i have I have to confess, I did cut down my redbud tree because it was a pain in the neck. Hmm. And so I have about 10 volunteers out there that I could shovel out and get in that spot. I put in that great big hydrangea there. So, too late? To move those? Yeah. I, I, a little. We we aren't doing any digging right now. The only dig, mm-hmm. and, and that's, I mean, I just put it out there. In my yard, if I had to move something right now, uh, if it's real tender new foliage, I would hold up. But otherwise, okay. if it's an emergency, I would dig it and okay. move it. No That's emergency. in my yard. I just need I need your deck <laughs> because I bought way too many tropical plants for my porch. Uh-oh. <laughs> and then a friend gave me one of those great big Boston ferns, which I do not like to fool with. I don't either. Boston ferns are vegetables, too, aren't they? Do, too much like work. Yeah, too much work. <laughs> right. Hey, always Thanks. a pleasure. Bye. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week, I'm sure. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We come back. Uh, we'll continue on at 800-823-8255. Don't forget our website, ronwilsononline.com. Lots of good information on there for you, including our plan of the week, which is really cool. It's all happening here in the garden with Ron Wilson. How is your garden growing? Call Ron now at 1-800-823-TALK. You're listening to In the Garden with Ron Wilson.
Good morning. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson again. That toll-free number, 800-823-8255. Talking about yardening, don't forget our website, ronwilsononline.com. The uh, plant of the week is an interesting plant. I love this little plant. It's a perennial. Of course, June is perennial gardening month. So we're going to focus on perennials as we go through the month of June. But this is one that, you, you, you know, you may have a little bit harder time finding it, but I like it. And if we continue to promote it, we promoted it last year. And if we continue to bring it out there, uh, hopefully more nurseries and uh, garden centers will continue to grow it. Um, hummingbirds love it. Pollinators love it. Hummingbirds do because it's more of a tubular type flower. But it's called red birds in a tree. And when the flowers, you know, nothing spectacular as far as the plant itself. But when it starts to flower and sends these spikes up, kind of conical shaped, and then the flowers start to open up. There's just hundreds of them on these uh, these uh, individual stalks. They look just like a red bird with a beak sitting on the plant. It's really cool. And then the hummingbirds come up and go down inside the tube and feed on them. And it's a it, it, it's a great one. But it looks really neat. It's just a, it's just and of course I love the name red birds in a tree. But uh, it, it may be hard for you to find. I'll tell you that up front right now. As a matter of fact, uh, the nursery I work with we we grow a certain amount. We put this on our website, I think, about three days ago and happened to mention it. And uh, I noticed as soon as it starts to come into flower, we are down to almost nothing already. As soon as it starts to flower, everybody, everybody just scarps them up. But it's a really cool plant. But it's a perennial, and it's our perennial of the week, and it's called Red Birds in a Tree. And, of course, June is Perennial Gardening Month, so be sure and get out and uh, figure out where you can plant those perennials. And, by the way, we had Dr. Alan Armitage on our show last Saturday, his newest book, which is outstanding, is called Herbaceous Perennial Plants, the fourth edition. It, it, it's it's a book that's almost like something you would you would you would use it for a college course on on learning about perennial plants, but yet he puts in his own comments and tells stories about the plants, and it really is a great reference book. Whether you're a hobby gardener, professional gardener, landscape designer, garden center plant specialist, whatever it may be. This is a tremendous reference book. It's about a thousand pages, so it covers about any and every perennial you could ever imagine, plus a lot of the newer cultivars that are out there, newer selections, which um, you know a lot of times you have to keep updating these because there's so many new selections that come out there all the time. You know they, they you don't learn about them in some of the older older books. So this is out there. It's on a pre-sale right now on his website, and then it'll become available. Uh, he's hoping by the end of June. It's alanarmitage.net, alanarmitage.net, but it's it's Herbaceous Perennial Plants 4th Edition pre-sale, and that thing is uh, phenomenal. You talk about a great, if you really want to get into perennials and want to learn more about them when you're doing your planning and all, that book um, is, a, is, is a book for you. All right, back to the gardening phone lines at 800-823-8255. Larry in Cincinnati, good morning. Good morning. Yes, sir. How are you doing this morning? I'm great, and yourself? Good, real good. Okay, I um, called you. I was on uh, what three weeks ago almost, and I planted these green arborvitaes I was going to plant, mm-hmm. and I got fourteen of them I put in the ground. And with this dry weather coming on, I just wanted a, a refresher on how to keep these things growing. I had a little bit of trouble with the, the first week. I don't think I hit it hard enough with water, you know, when I first planted them, but mm-hmm. I really slugged them good. And they've really brightened up real good. I have a couple limbs, you know, little branches, maybe two, three inches long on two or three of the trees that have turned brown. Mm-hmm. You know, but now they've, I've really been watering better. But I just, with this dry weather coming on, 
have what's a good pattern to try to keep these things going. Yeah, and I think the browning sometimes, especially for newly planted plants, and arborvitae especially, a lot of times just from handling, you know, grabbing a hold of them. And a lot of times yeah. you do that, and you'll have a little piece here and there. And, and folks see that and kind of panic a little bit, think something's going on. And that's why we say just clip that stuff out of there, and then if it, if it, it'll, you'll notice it just you don't see it anymore because yeah. it was part of, part of that process. But I think that it's a good point that you bring up, and obviously a, a point we'll talk about as we go through the summer season. But the thing there, I just kind of keep stressing to folks, is the fact that when you do water these new evergreens, new plants, whatever it may be, is that you make sure you soak them really well when you do it. So you fill up the hole, you soak the immediate root ball, a good, thorough, deep soaking. And then, you know, you do that. How big is the root ball on these in, uh, the, the plants now, would you say, uh, 12 inches? probably 12, 14 inches. Okay. So that's a, that's, a, that's a nice size root ball. So you soak that thing really well. And depending on the type of soil you have and, of course, temperatures and things like that, that may last you four, five, or six days. But the whole point is a thorough soaking. And then let it dry out because those roots want to breathe. They don't want to be wet all the time. So you let them get close to drying out or dry out, and then you come back and you soak it again. And and that, again, may be five days, seven days, ten days. And, and But when you do it, you do it really thorough. And and that's where I always say that, that moisture meter. You can buy a moisture meter for 10 bucks, and you stick that down in that root ball. It tells you whether it's wet, dry, or moist. And that's what you're looking for. And you want it to get dry. Soak it really well, close to dry, soak it really well. Uh, and, again, that depends on your soil moisture and the heat and all of that kind of thing. But the important thing is don't tease them. Soak them well. When you do it, make sure, Larry, like you said before, you may not, may not have been soaking them deep enough or thorough enough that you really soak them well. And you do that, you got it made. I just planted a new smaller tree. It's the same thing. It's got a root ball, about a 12-, 14-inch root ball on it um, out in front, and what I'm gonna, what I'm doing right now is I'm doing about a five gallon bucket worth of watering, and it's about every five days. And I, by five days, that root ball has really started to dry out, which is good. Then I soak it really well with about five gallons of water, really nice and thorough. Five, six, seven days later, it seems to be dry again, and that seems to be my pattern for that particular tree. But I want it to dry out. I want those roots to be able to breathe, and then soak it really well again. That's what you're looking for. Okay, um, when you say, do you, would you keep doing this all summer? Um, again, it, it, yeah. Uh, for this tree, I'll keep doing it all summer unless, of course, all of a sudden we get a really good rain, an inch of rainfall that we know, I know, really got soaking into the ground, including those root balls. And the kicker okay. is, especially with evergreens, is remember, evergreens can act as an umbrella. So when it rains, they may shed that water off to the outside and a lot of that root ball may not get a good soaking, so you you know don't let that fool you. And that's where that that rent, that soil moisture meter can really be a, a good friend for you to poke down in there and see. So you know if I get a real good rainfall that I know soaked that root ball, then I don't have to water as often. But I'll carry that, especially the first year, and sometimes depending on some of the plants, the second year, I'll carry that through the first year to make sure I know they've got good. Uh, regular watering, and then I can kind of start to back off a little bit after that first or second year that they've started to root in uh, and can usually go a little bit longer on the drier side. Okay. Now, there's there's one of these trees that on the bottom, and there again, it may have been part of the way we handled them. You know, we're, me and my buddy were both getting up in an age. I, we may have got a little <laughs> rough with them. But uh, my it's got 
some of them bigger brown branches right on the bottom. Should mm-hmm. I cut all of them out? Yeah, if it's if it's totally brown and you know it's not just the needles, but the branch itself is is brown. You scratch it and you don't see any green there. You know, don't leave it on there. It's not going to do you any good. Go ahead and clip those out of there. And then as okay. new as new growth comes along, and remember with the arborvitae, it's pretty much or any evergreen, it's pretty much a one shot every year. You get that new growth that comes out in the spring, and that's about all you see. Um, you know, eventually it does cover that back over, and over time. Uh, with evergreens, some of those branches, gravity starts to bring them back down, so they'll kind of fill that back in for you. But anytime there's a branch on there that you know is definitely dead and it's brown, clip it and get it out of there so you don't see it anymore. Um, and if there is a, a problem, like a disease or something, and it continues to show up, then you know that there's an issue. Uh, so, But, yeah, it's always good to get, get that dead stuff away from the plant. Okay. I really appreciate it. Hey, Larry, uh, keep me posted as we go through the summer. Alrighty, All righty. Take right. care. Good talking to you. And again, watering, it's, a, it's at the top of my list here as far as notes. It can be very, very confusing. And I use my own patio planting. We just finished doing it with my wife and myself. First time we've ever done a landscape planting together because she's always watched me do it. But she got involved this year, which was fun, picking out some of the plants and all. Um, I realize how much our tastes are different. But nevertheless, it all came together. And so now she's at home, and she's uh, during the day and, and watering and taking care of things. You realize how frustrating it can be. When do I water? When do I not water? Who do I water? How much do I water? And we've got many different types of plants in many different types. We've got sun, shade, in this patio area. It can be very confusing. And, of course, that's, again, where physically touching the root ball to see if it's wet or dry. Using that moisture meter really can be your best friend. And remembering that even though a lot of times with newly planted plants, that root ball could be soaked and have plenty of moisture, but during the day, they just, in a sunny situation where it's warm out, they just can't take enough moisture up to keep the top from wilting a little bit. So they kind of wilt. But if by 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock in the evening, it's back up to its normal presence, you know it's okay. It's got good moisture down there. So make sure you don't overwater. Sometimes we do that. We see them wilt. We water, we water, we water, and we wind up overwatering them and, and rotting out the root system. So it can be very, very confusing. So it's been a lesson that I have learned over the last month with, you know, again, working with my wife to, you know, what to water, what to not water, and realizing how really confusing it can be. But again, I go back to that. You either physically feel the immediate root ball or use that moisture meter it, the moisture meter, I'm telling you, it can be your, your best friend when it comes to watering. 800-823-8255, that's our number. Coming up in the next uh, half hour, or next hour, as a matter of fact, we have two special guests. Well, we're going to talk to um, Eva about a new book that she's got about shrubs and hedges. This is a great book about the plants that we use the most of in our landscapes. I think it's one of the first books I've ever seen written about how to take care of those, the primary plants in our landscapes. Then we're going to talk about rain gardens. Yeah, Rain Guards with Amanda coming up in our next hour here in the Garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the Garden and he's Ron Wilson.
Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255 to Millersburg, Ohio. We go. John, good morning. Good morning, Ron. Yes, sir. Hey, I've got a lilac bush that's been there for probably 30 years, but it's it's a darker purple lilac than the common lilac. I can't find it in any nurseries anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, in a, in a couple years from now, that bush is going to have to go away. But I want to get some starts off of it, and I tried doing rooted cuttings, and that didn't work. What's the best way to to get starts off of that bush? Well, I would have said rooted cuttings. Um, <laughs> when did you take the cuttings? Uh, I tried it earlier this spring, and I, I don't think I did it right. Maybe uh, can you give me advice on how to how to do that and yeah, make let, it work? Let's let that new growth get out. You know, Let it get out and hardened off. And right now it should be putting out all the new growth for you. And okay. w- once that starts to harden off more like the stem below, then you can take those cuttings. Now, how long were your cuttings that you were taking? Oh, probably four or five inches. Okay. I think they were too small. They were just tiny little round ones. No, that that's good. Uh, you know, usually a four to six inch cutting is more than enough for you. And you want at least a bud where there's a bud on the stem that you can put down below the soil. And you're going to put that down in the ground about an inch, inch and a half in that potting mix. And do a bunch of them. Uh, don't just do do one, do a whole bunch. So you can take like a, I always like taking like a, a six-inch round pot and with potting soil and sticking like three or four in a pot. And what you may wind up doing for a while, of course, you want to put them in the, in the shade. Don't want them in full sun. Uh, sometimes you can put a little, uh, like a little cover over top, like a mini greenhouse. Make sure it's vented so they don't cook. Just a whole little bit of moisture in there for you. But that is one way to do it. You can also do them in the fall. Um, as far as taking a cutting and trying to get that way. But that's the most effective way to do it. Now, sometimes if you have suckers, like where the runners come out at the base that are attached to the parent plant, sometimes you can go in and 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 cut it off where it comes away from the mother plant. Just go ahead and separate it, leave it sit there for a while, let it kind of create its own root system, and dig those up from away from the base of the plant. And that can be done as well. But rooted cuttings are still probably one of your your best shots for giving it a getting the new plants. Okay, so you're saying like later this summer, sometime would be a good time to try it. Or? Yeah, it would be. It would be a, uh, a semi soft. It would be what they call like a soft wood cutting. So it would be later on after the new growth has stopped. All right, that you're able to go in and cut because if you cut it right now, it would just fold up. It wouldn't it wouldn't support itself. So it's got to okay. go into more of a woody stem. Uh, or you can do it in a, as an actual fall cutting as well. So you could, you know, it'd be sometime Septemberish, I guess, would be a good time to do that as well. Okay. So is it? Do I cut like the tips of the branches? Yeah, off, you're doing. Do you're doing that. You're going to do the tips, tip branch, uh, tip. Do it. You could do it pieces of the branch as well, but I think you're going to have most success with a tip uh, rooted cutting rather than the, you know, going down the stem more. So go along and take the ends off of those. And again, six inch cuttings are typically about what you're looking for. Okay. All right. I'll give that a try. All right. Good luck with everything. Okay. Thank you. All right. Good talking to you. Speaking of which, and uh, this man does his own propagating as well. Maybe he's got a tip for us. Kevin O'Dell, a true plantsman. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Wilson. You ever taken cuttings from lilacs? I'm sure you have. Uh, I have one in my back that's a special one. It's a variegated one called Dappled Dawn. It was introduced by my good friend Jeff Payne's father, Fred, who was a head of the park board in Cincinnati, and I planted it. Plants have grown. It needs to be propagated. I'm going to do tip cuttings, and I also have some root cuttings coming up. Cool. So you're doing it both ways. When do you, when do you, when do you take the tip cuttings? 
Uh, probably about another month, I'm going to guess. So it's a kind of a semi-soft, semi-hardwood cutting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not the propagation expert. Okay. I mean, I, I have done a little bit. I know. I see it and that, but I don't. That's not something I know. Right. And speaking of your shortage of mahonias and things that can be related to a propagation issue, when and a one-word answer for that is Harambe. The death of Harambe at the Cincinnati Zoo wiped out a lot of mahonias, uh, larger barberries, and different plants that have thorns on them. All the zoos were going out and buying those plants yeah. from our nurseries so that they could build more protection around their animal enclosures. Interesting. Interesting. And this, is a, this is a true story. It's not a Kevin's story. Right. Because we're having hard times accessing the same things, and that, that's what was told to me. The uh, It's supply and demand like our, our business always is, Ron. Oh, yeah. And this year, of course, uh, even more so. Oh. Never seen it like this. No, it's been it's been crazy, which is a good thing. When they built the Toyota plant down in Georgetown, you could not find a burning bush anywhere for three years. (laughs) Every nursery sold out to them. They were just doing hedges and hedges and hedges. This is true, hedges and hedges. Yeah. And then at the end of that, there was a bad year for propagation. I believe all the liners froze in the fields, so that prolonged it even longer. You know, you can't make one of these plants in. Nope. In 10 days, like you can loaves of bread. Right. You can gear up for them that fast. Yep. So there's shortages in it, in the uh, business there always have been. You know, sometimes we don't have watermelons in the in the Kroger stores, but there's something else. You, you got it. I love yeah. hearing the birds when you call in. They're always singing in the background. Yes, they are. It's <laughs> my time at the nursery on Saturday morning to be here just a little early and just enjoy the peace. I love it. Hey, always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Ron. All right, Great take care. Time. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. And uh, Zoe in Kansas, we got about a minute and a half to go. Good morning. I guess we don't have Zoe, so we're going to go to Dick and Dayton. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you, Hi, sir? Hi, Dick. Uh, good. I just wanted to tell you we're still busy, and uh, we got uh, we got a little bit of, uh, oh, they got some sandwiches and uh, I have a couple helpers now, but we're we're slowing down. But it's, everything's pretty good, buddy. Yeah, you can see it slowing down. You can tell we're over the peak for the spring season, but staying nice and strong. Home improvement and gardening. Oh yeah, it's just a beautiful time of year, you know. So, what's the word on the next concert? Oh, um, oh yeah, I wanted to tell you about that. Uh, I uh, one of the band members came over, okay, and. Uh, 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 we 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 start back up. Oh, I can't wait! July thirteenth, and guess what? I'm putting in my car. What? A stereo. Really? Good CD, for you. Yeah, so I can start listening. And I bought good, a, a boombox at uh, Goodwill. I got to hear my tapes, buddy. Good, good for you. Hey, we got to go. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. All right, have a good one. Coming up next, we're going to talk about a great book called Shrubs and Hedges. Why didn't somebody write a book like this before? Because it covers, those are the main plants, most popular plants in our entire landscape. Well, here's one. It's it's called Shrubs and Hedges, How to Take Care of Them, How to Plant Them, How to Plan for Them. It covers everything. It's written by Eva Monheim. It's an outstanding book. We're going to have Eva on the show with us coming up next. Then we're going to talk to Amanda about rain gardens. Ever thought about putting a rain garden in your backyard? Ooh, so lots of good stuff coming up in our next hour here in the garden with Ron Wilson.
income or not, Ron can help at 1-800-823-TALK. This is In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Our toll-free number, same as it is every Saturday morning. It's 800-823-8255. Good morning. I am Ron Wilson, your personal yard boy. Talking about yarding, moving our way through the month of June. And guess what? I have found another fantastic book. And what's so unique about this particular book is that it covers the world's most popular plants. The plants that are the backbone, the basis, the majority of the plants that we have in our yards and gardens. And why there hasn't been a book written about this before, I have no idea. But now there is, and now it's available for you. And it's got a very simple title. It's called Shrubs and Hedges. It's How to Discover, Grow, and Care for the World's Most Popular Plants. It's written by Eva Monheim. And let me tell you something about Eva, because it's very interesting here. She's a horticulture educator and has a horticulture educator and consulting firm called V. She is an instructor at the world-famous Longwood Gardens. She uh, is a faculty member at the Barnes Arboretum. She teaches landscape management. She's a horticulturist, certified arborist, master floral designer, artist, writer. It just goes on and on and on. And she has given us a book that is absolutely outstanding. Again, it's called Shrubs and Hedges. And guess what? Eva Monheim is with us this morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Good to have you on our show. And I first have to say I am very jealous of you. Why? Because you get to to uh, teach at Longwood Gardens. Oh, I'm I'm I really feel very blessed to teach there. It's a an, it's an amazing organization, and uh, every day there's a surprise. But there's never one day that's the same. Uh, plant wise, energy wise, people wise, it's always changing, and uh, the staff is amazing. Well, I tell you, if, whether you're a gardener. A professional, a horticulture—I don't care if you if you don't care anything about plants. You've got to go see Longwood Gardens because it is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it's just what they do there is just—I don't know—it's just got to be on everybody's bucket list to go there. So I'm jealous as heck that you get to teach there. Well, I, I like I said, I really feel very um, blessed to to work there, and I've been there since 2009, and I've been involved since 2007. And uh, they they really do think about everything when they when they set out to do something. The planning is impeccable. The um, the, the staff and the and the connections that you'll have there are are like no other. Well, it, it is, and it's again. I, I highly suggest folks put that on their bucket list, and I highly suggest it on their book list. They take a look at this one called Shrubs and Hedges. I'll tell you, when I first saw the title, I went, what? And then I picked it up, and I started reading through it, and I said, 
why doesn't some why didn't somebody write a book like this before? Because you are exactly you hit this one on the head because you're covering all the plants that are the basics, the standards, the the backbone, the frame to all of our landscapes. Well, you know what I find to be really uh, interesting after teaching at Temple for twelve years. Um, I have had so many students ask similar questions, and I thought to myself, you know, these questions should be explained in some kind of format, and I started writing a little here and a little there, and I would I would uh, coalesce information, and that's how this book came about. I teach a shrubs class at Longwood Gardens, mm-hmm. and the, the shrub class is, is very well attended, and there's always some amazing questions that come from the classroom. And so I thought that that would be an ideal, um, an ideal opportunity to, uh, to write about it. And one of the things that I think is important about the book, in, inside here is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a little frog in my voice this morning, um, a, a whole chart on hydrangea. Hydrangea is so many questions come from hydrangea. You know, how do I prune it? You know, when do I prune it? Mm-hmm. Um, does it need to be pruned? Uh, what's out there? And I put the put this chart together, and it's six pages. Uh, well, I'm what, sure you saw it. You know what's funny is I was gonna I was gonna kid you because I was gonna say you know you could have made this book about forty pages shorter. By not putting a chart of hydrangeas in there. (laughs) There are so many out there today, it's crazy. Well, I have to tell you that um, I was talking with Michael Durr, and he said to me, the book is worth the money just for the chart. Just for the chart. Oh, absolutely. And he said, I'm sorry I didn't think of it. (laughs) (laughs) So so the, the chart, I think, is very helpful. But, you know, since 2000, since the year 2000, um, we have had more hydrangeas come out on the market since than anything before that. And, of course, um, I, was, I was involved early on with the uh, Endless Summer Hydrangea. I was working for a PR company at the time that does horticultural PR. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, this, this new hydrangea that Michael Durr is talking about is Endless Summer. And there's never been a reblooming um, hydrangea macrophylla, which is the large leaf um, hydrangea. And when that came out, then it almost opened up the floodgates to everything else. Oh, it did. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And, and I, I swear yeah. every, every week I get another news release of another hydrangea that's available. And it's not going away. They, they used to call it your grandmother's plant. But, you know, I think grandma knew what was a really good plant for the garden. And like, all kidding aside, uh, I, I think that we're going to see just as many between now and the next 10 years uh, on hydrangea because after visiting uh, one of the growers out in, in Michigan last summer, I was blown away with what they had on their property that has not been released yet. Right. And the colors in the hydrangea arborescence, which is a, which is a smooth leaf hydrangea, that one there, there's shorter colored uh, white ones that only get to be two feet tall, one foot tall. Uh, they have popcorn-like flowers. There's one actually called popcorn that has uh, popcorn-like blooms, uh, ones that are pink, uh, just, and it just goes on. 
Crazy stuff. Well, and again, our special guest this morning, Eva Monheimer website, evamonheim.com. And of course, the book we're talking about, Shrubs and Hedges, Discover, Grow, and Care for the World's Most Popular Plants. Um, I like the way you put this together because you really take us from a little bit of the history about shrubs, how they're named. Um, you even go through how to, the leaf shapes and the needle shapes and and all that, just to give us a little bit of a background of these shrubs before we even get involved you know, learning about each individual one and how to take care of it, how it grows, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, then you tailor it into, uh, you know, uh, profiling them all and how to how to design with shrubs, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just love the way you work through this, and it's a great read. It's not something that, you know, it's a, it's boring. It's a great read. And then you add through it all your little, um, I always say, Post-it notes, all little comments here and there, the facts and fictions, common names, et cetera, et cetera, which really makes this thing so interesting to to, uh, to read through. Well, in the when teaching at the university, I, I used to laugh because you know students would say, "Oh, I just I love your class because you give us information that I've never heard from before." For example, um, you know, uh, serviceberry, uh, which is found pretty much across the United States. And serviceberry, some people think is a small tree or it could be a large shrub, depending mm-hmm. on uh, how that particular species grows. But for the most part, amelanch here, I'm talking about serviceberry, there's, there's lots and lots of different names for it, depending on where you live. Um, and, and I thought to myself, okay, well, what about some of the, the lure with that? And what is connected to that? And I really find uh, Native American studies to be just so fascinating. And one of the things that I put in the book is, is how they make pem- pemigum, um, which, was a, which was a staple in the Indian diet, especially in the, with the Cree Indians in, um, in Canada, southern Canada, and how that berry was used with the meat products that they prepared um, and I, f- I found that, but then there's also uh, serviceberry. Uh, is it really true that uh, the reason why it was called serviceberry is because uh, when that bloomed, the ground was thawed enough that they could bury a body? Because if the, if the winter was really cold, you couldn't bury bodies. They would just stack them up and wait until the weather got better for mm-hmm. burial. Mm-hmm. And so serviceberry, because of the funeral services. So... I just thought, wow, that's really crazy. But then here in in the east, um, in our Delaware River here in Pennsylvania, uh, the the native population here called the uh, the, the tree or the shrub uh, shadblow. Right. And shadblow is shad is a fish in our river, and it's in the family with salmon. And when they would run up the river, that plant would be in bloom. Right. So it got the name Shadlow. So, you know, the associations are just incredible. And as we keep naming plants, we keep losing common names, uh, which gives a little bit of the history of the plant itself. Uh, and another example would be a poor man's bridal bouquet. What the heck is what the heck is that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's Physocarpus. Opulifolius, which is our common nine bark. Mm-hmm. And when that blooms, and people used to only get married in May, May, June, somewhere around there. And that was the time when the um, nine bark would be blooming. And they would gather it up because people could not afford to buy flowers. 
they would make yeah. their bridal bouquets out of that. Right. Well, hey, we got a poor man's bridal bouquet. <laughs> we got to take a quick break. We're talking with Eva Monheim. Her website is evamonheim.com. The name of the book, Shrubs and Hedges. We'll talk more about that. We'll also learn why poop is important. Oh, yeah. Wait for that one. Coming up next here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden and he's Ron Wilson. Welcome back here in the Garden with Ron Wilson. Special guest this morning, Eva Monheim. She is the author of Shrubs and Hedges, Discover, Grow, and Care for the World's Most Popular Plants. Absolutely outstanding book. Her website is evamonheim.com. You know, I we uh, so, much, so many questions in so little time. You just addressed so many great things in here on how to take care of <clears throat> these shrubs and hedges. I love that you uh, got into the espaliering, and I saw that something I've never seen before, the fig. I love growing figs espaliering them on like a south wall. What a great idea. Yeah, that one there came from uh, George Washington's Mount Vernon. And I had spent some time down there working at the American Horticulture Society and had a chance to visit Mount Vernon in my spare time. And I was fascinated by uh, George Washington's uh, gardening book um, and his his diaries. I've read up on quite a number of his farming uh, books, and I, I found that to be fascinating. He he really worked the the land and utilized the aspect of uh, the South a lot in his work. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, you, if you go to the garden, you, you see some uh, unusual things that might not be seen in a regular garden. Uh, you know, his apples are espaliered in, in, in a fence. Mm-hmm. along the edge of the of the garden. Yeah, the fence it, is that's that is really cool. Yeah, and you know, why don't we all why don't we all have our fences made out of apples? Oh, I know, it's when I saw that I was like <laughs> that is that is I got to keep that one in mind. I really love that. Yeah, and you know, who would have guessed that you can still learn from back in the 1700s when when things were done a, a little bit differently than we do we do now in gardening. Um, making things easy to access uh, so that you don't have to climb a ladder to pick apples. You can pick them and make it easy for anyone who has to pick in a hurry. And that certainly uh, goes very well there. And you'll see some espaliers down in um, in Alexandria, Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, right down from Mount Vernon, where you'll you'll see small little tiny gardens with you know pear trees espaliered up against a brick wall or uh, apple trees or some other type of fruit that makes it easy for this homeowner to have something to eat in their garden, no matter how small. So, uh, yes, it's, it's, it's a really clever way. You'll also see that at the, um, up in, the, uh, up in the, the Rockefeller Center, up in um, the Cloisters uh, in New York City, 
uh, you'll see that in the cloister garden there where they have all kinds of uh, plants espaliered up the walls. And that's what they used to do in old monasteries to increase their food production so that the, the monks would always have something to eat. Um, it just, I, I find it to be very fascinating. Oh, absolutely. Eva Monheim, our special guest this morning, evamonheim.com is her website. Shrubs and Hedges is the name of the book. It's absolutely outstanding. Covers everything from how they get named, how to identify them, how to prune them, how to propagate them, how to create hedges and hedge rows. And then we get to a great chapter that I I really like. And, I, and, and before I get to that one, I want one more. Shrubs for Ponds, Creeks, Rain Gardens, Hillsides, uh, outstanding chapter because there's always people asking what plants to plant in those particular situations. But in Chapter 9, you do address attracting pollinators and other desirable wild wildlife. And I got to the to the title. It said, Poop is Important. Yeah. And I, said, I, I, got, I obviously got my attention. I said, what the heck? But uh, I thought that was very interesting. Well, uh, living here along the East Coast, migratory trails are very important. And if you go to the USDA website and Google on their site a plant, they will give you a map of where the plant is typically native to in the United States. And when in the classroom, I would I'd say, okay, well, let's take a look at this plant and see what the USDA has to say about it. And uh, pull up pull up a, a plant like, like Amelanchia or Aronia or... Uh, which is um, a chokeberry or uh, winterberry holly. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that these plants all grow along the East Coast. That's one of our major flyways or migratory trails. Right. And as the birds stop to eat, they, they eat the seed and everything. And as they move around and stop at their next location, they drop their little packet of guano with the seed and the fertilizer packet. So it's all ready to go. It's all ready to go. I mean, you know, it, it, so, and if, if we have a, a hurricane in, say, September or so, and the birds are knocked off course because they're, they're migrating, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll go inland. They'll, they'll move inland away from the storm. And the last place they were eating uh, will then have the poop dropped Interesting. in an area that is typically you might not find that plant growing. I love it. And hey. you'll say to yourself, wow, how, how did this plant get here? Well, that's how working. that's how it got there. That's why poop's important. Hey, we got to go. So, a great book, Shrubs and Hedges by Eva Monheim. Again, her website, evamonheim.com. Uh, absolutely love it. Great job. Appreciate you spending time with us this morning. Thank you so much. All right, have take care. Day. Shrubs and Hedges by Eva Monheim. Coming up next, we're going to talk about rain gardens. Here in the Garden with Ron Wilson. Help for the do-it-yourself gardener at 1-800-823-TALK. You're in the Garden with Ron Wilson.
Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. Don't forget our website. It's ronwilsononline.com. Be sure and check that out. Lots of great info. You know, you hear this buzzword, I guess it would be words, more and more all the time, called rain gardens. And it comes up in conversation quite a bit now when we start talking about uh, ways to uh, just make our backyard, our, our whole yard, a little bit more environmentally friendly. What is a rain garden, you may be asking yourself right now? Well, guess what? We have our rain garden expert with us this morning to tell us a little bit more about it. She is from the uh, Hamilton County Great Parks here locally. Her name is Amanda Nury. Good morning. Good morning. Good to have you on our show with us. So get us, get us started here, Amanda, by first of all, for folks that are listening that just have never maybe heard about rain gardens, what are rain gardens? Sure. That's a great question. So um, a rain garden is basically just a shallow depression that is filled with plants. Um, these plants just act like a sponge and they uh, a natural filter to keep pollutants out of our local streams and rivers and lakes. All right. So, so, uh, so why would I want this natural depression with surrounded by sponge plants in my yard and garden? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, of good reasons to put in a rain garden. Um, basically, during a downpour, so water will, will gush out of downspouts and across pavement and other impervious surp- surfaces, and they can pick up pollutants, a lot of different pollutants and pesticides along the way, and a rain garden can serve to collect and filter out these pollutants. Um, so that's a great benefit to our whole community. Um, it reduces stormwater runoff. It can send rain into the ground where it can be used by plants and then filter down to recharge groundwater. Mm-hmm. Um, it can reduce drainage issues and flooding. And um, finally, they can create thriving habitats for birds, bees, and butterflies. So you can uh, really attract some interesting wildlife to your yard. And they're also just really beautiful features. Yeah, and it, and, it, and again, if somebody's interested in doing a rain garden, um, obviously, we're going to kind of walk through the process here of, of, of how do you position one and, and how do we go about building one. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the thing that to remember is that when you're doing these plants, and as a matter of fact, I don't know if you our interview that uh, we just had earlier, the, a new book that just came out called Shrubs and Hedges, the final chapter in here um, is covers plants for rain gardens and ponds. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it is becoming more and more popular all the time. But I think the thing for folks to remember is that the plants that are in these rain gardens are very attractive plants that you'll enjoy seeing, creates a nice uh, garden area, so to speak. And like you said, also can help to attract pollinators uh, while doing its benefit as far as the water runoff and things like that. Uh, and these are also, I guess you have to say they're plants that can take wet feet, but also can take dry feet because it's not always going to be wet. Exactly, yeah. You did a great job summarizing the kind of plants that are needed. Um, You really need to find some hardy plants that can withstand drought and flooding conditions. Um, Native plants work really well because they're already adapted to our local climate and our native soils. Uh, Many of our native prairie grasses and wildflowers have very deep root systems that that increase filtration into the ground. Um, So we have a few rain gardens at the great parks. One of them is at our Winton Center, and we have 
really beautiful um, purple cone flowers in there, and we've used Martian milkweed and button bush. So really attractive plants can be used. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so aesthetics are really important. It can make your yard um, really beautiful. All right, so let me let's talk about a rain garden. Then, so I say, okay, I'm sold on that. I'll I'll, I'll help out here. So uh, where do where do I look in my yard and garden? Where would I look to place properly place a rain garden? So you want to choose a location that's near a downspout or a driveway or some other impervious surface that receives a lot of runoff during rain events. Um, it needs to be at least 10 feet away from any building foundations. Uh, you want to check and make sure you're not above any underground utilities or near any big trees um, where you know you make it into their roots. Um, you want to think about the slope of the area. Mm-hmm. And you also need to think about soil quality. So there's a lot of factors that you need to to take into consideration. If I have, a, if I'm looking at my yard and I have a low spot where it seems like all the water seems to drain to this one spot in my yard, um, would the low spot become a situation where I might want to consider the rain garden? That, that definitely might. Um, you don't want it to be um, basically upslope of any buildings, but if it's downslope of any structures. And it's sort of a low point that might make a great place for, for a rain garden. Talking with Amanda Nuri this morning. She's from the uh, Great Parks here locally. Their website is greatparks.org. And if you go on greatparks.org, you will actually, that you have some, uh, the projects, you have some printouts there that, that, that I had downloaded and printed out uh, on how to uh, make rain gardens and rain garden harvesting and all of that. So you can get more information uh, from their website. So, again, check it out. It's greatparks.org. Talking with Amanda Nuri. So we, we find the location, okay, we say, okay, right, this, this looks like this is going to work out for us. Um, what kind of prep work do I have to do before I start to plant the plants that I'm going to choose to go in my rain garden? There's a few different things you'll want to do. There's, um, you'll want to make sure that your soil um, is is draining the water at an appropriate rate. So you'll do a, something called a percolation test, which is basically just digging a hole, filling it with water, and then monitoring how quickly it drains. All right now, let so me back. Up, let me sure let me back up a second. The, the, a rain yeah. garden is that going to become like a uh, a retention, like a kind of like a retention pond? No, it shouldn't serve as a retention pond. The okay. water in the rain garden should drain really within 24 hours okay. of it being collected, and that's to prevent any mosquitoes from being able to breed in there. So the goal when we're changing the soil and all is that we want it to – it'll collect water for a little while, but we want it to be able to perk and go right on down through within about a 24-hour period. Exactly. Got it. So, um, so that's where you come in and start to amend the soils. You can, if you, if necessary, you okay. can um, amend the soil. Yeah. So what if I, what if, I mean, most of us around here, you know that, how that soil is, it's heavy clay soils. How does that mm-hmm. perk, I mean, is that something that we typically wind up doing something to it to get that water to go down a little bit quicker? Um, sometimes you, you will need to. There's, there's different kinds of soil amendments. You can use organic or preferable. Um, so you can amend your soil with some compost, some peat moss, bark vines. Something like that can work really well if you find that your soil is not um, is not filtrating that water quickly enough. Interesting. We're talking with Amanda Nuri this morning. She's from Great Parks, and their website is greatparks.org. Talking about the benefits of installing rain gardens, if you've never thought about it before. And again, the whole idea is to collect up all the water runoff in your own yard and keep it there, basically, right? Yeah, um, basically. 
and keep it there and then uh, just let it perk down through the soil and take it from there. And a creative way to do that would be obviously a rain garden. Let's take a quick break. We come back. We'll continue talking with Amanda about the plants that we put in there and what to expect from our rain garden here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden and he's Ron Wilson. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. We have our uh, rain garden specialist with us this morning. Her name is Amanda Nury. She's from the Hamilton County Great Parks. And, of course, her website is greatparks.org. Be sure and check it out. You'll also find some information on there um, pertaining to rain gardens and how to uh, how to think about putting in your rain garden. By the way, did, did I find a link on that website while I was there the, uh, that for that brochure that uh, Ohio State put together as well? Yeah, there's a yeah. great um, document from the Ohio State Extension yes. that provides a ton of information on how to to create a rain garden and the correct plants to use. And, yeah, it's a, it's a great source of information. You know what I don't like about this? It, What's it, that? It has Steve Foltz on the front cover. <laughs> you know Steve Foltz? I don't. <laughs> oh, he's from the Cincinnati Botanical Garden and Zoo. He's their director, oh, okay. director of horticulture. And he's oh, okay. he's on the front cover, and I think that's uh, I just don't you know Steve's not he should <laughs> he shouldn't be on there. You should be on there. Talking with Amanda <laughs> Nury from <laughs> from Great Parks. So so when I'm talking about rain gardens, and I'm thinking about okay, it's going to collect up this water. Am I going to have mosquitoes from that thing? So they they're designed so that they shouldn't be holding water. Right. Um, so the water that. Um, is collected by the rain garden should dissipate in less than a day. Um, for mosquitoes to transition from egg to adult, it typically takes three to seven days. So this shouldn't be a breeding ground for mosquitoes. And, and I'm guessing if we have the right plants in there and we get bring in some birds or whatever other wildlife, if they would also be there to help take care of those if, if that would be an issue. But you're right. If it, I guess if it drains through quick enough, it should not be an issue. Yes. So we can have. All right. So what kind of plants? So we so we got our, our rain garden. We've got it prepared. We got our our uh, depression there, where it's going to water's going to drain to. Uh, so what kind of plants are we looking at now to put around the outside of this? Are we talking just perennials? Are we talking trees and shrubs? What are we looking at? Um, there's a, a huge variety of plants that that you can use for these rain gardens. Um, again, I recommend that you go to the the website mm-hmm. um, that, that and and check out the document that we just referred to before the OSU extension document. They have a great list of plants for green stormwater management controls mm-hmm. that specifically will work in Southwest Ohio. So they just have this huge list of different um, perennials to use for your rain garden. Um, we again like i said before we we've used we've created rain gardens in the great parks at a few of our different locations and we've used some really beautiful flowers in them if you're interested in using flowers you can certainly do that um 
you just want to consider things like how much light is your rain garden going to get? Um, you know, consider the hardiness level of the plants, the aesthetics, so what you want your specific rain garden to look like. Do you want to see a lot of blooms? Or if you don't, there's other options for that. Um, and, again, like we said before, um, hardy plants are going to work best, ones that can withstand drought and flooding. Right. And native plants are, are obviously preferable as well. Right. And, I, and as I'm looking at this list because I, I did print this out. I, I Actually, Steve gave me this a long time ago when they first put it together. And I did mm-hmm. complain about his picture being on the front cover. <laughs> but it does. It, there are some native shrubs that are in there as well and some small to medium-sized trees that can be used around these yes. uh, these rain yeah. gardens too. So you've got a common, yeah. quite a combination of plants that can be used. So yes. you can create a really nice looking, uh, you know, it's just kind of up to you to do a little planning ahead of time. Uh, this brochure and, and information from you folks uh, is is uh, something you want to print out and take a look at it. Do a little planning before you uh, before you plant, and then once this thing gets planted, I mean, I, I still have to water it. And I still have to take care of it like I would a normal perennial garden or planting garden, right? Yeah. So in some ways, you'll water it for maybe while the plants get established, but right. after that, unless there's like some like you know long period of drought, you wouldn't really need to water it. Um, there's going to be some weeding, um, maybe a little bit of mulching, um, but it doesn't take a too much too much maintenance. Um, but yeah, similar to to a garden. So it'd be you like would. it would be the maintenance, like if I did it, put it in a perennial garden or whatever to, to get it established yeah. and take care of it, and then and then yeah. go from there. Talking with Amanda Nury from the Great Parks Hamilton County Great Parks. The website is greatparks.org. We're talking about rain gardens and something you may want to consider. You can capture all that water runoff right within your own yard. Uh, keep it right there, perk it right down through the through your yard back into the water systems, and uh, and it can be very attractive, and of course can attract uh, pollinators and wildlife to your uh, to your yard and garden as well. So you need to be sure and check them out. What about can we take that a next step? What about like rain barrels? Can I can kind of do a combination of rain barrels and rain garden? Is that a good thing? Um, absolutely. So it, it kind of depends what you're looking at in your own yard. Some some yards are not really suited for rain gardens, and you might discover that you don't have the right soil, and or that you don't have a good space for for your rain garden. So you might decide that you'd rather do a rain barrel, and that just captures the water, say from a downspout, and it prevents um, it from from running off. So um, and then you can use it to maybe water your plants or for some other benefit in your on your property. Yeah, so I can collect that and then I can use it to water the garden and the container plants and all of that. You know what I found yeah. with, with rain gar- with rain barrels when folks say, I, wanna, I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to collect some of the rain uh, off the off the roof and all and I'll use that to water is that they'll start out with a 55-gallon rain barrel and next thing you know they're adding three or four. Wow, yeah. Because yeah. It, one's never enough. <laughs> well, it isn't. You know, if you think about it, and then, you know, if you you know use it up, and so they wind up adding three or four or five of them on there, and you really get into it and start collecting all kinds of water. And it does save you because now you're using that water, right, instead of running out in the yard, using it to water all your containers and things like that as well. So so rain barrels would be something we should keep in mind as well, especially if our yards are not conducive to doing a rain garden. Yes, yeah. And, again, you can you could – Potentially put both of them in, but um, if you if you find that you don't have a good space for a rain garden, a rain barrel is another really neat thing you can do to collect your runoff. Excellent, Amanda Nuri. It was a pleasure having you on with us this morning. 
Um, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us. Again, the website is greatparks.org. Go on there and you'll find out all kinds of information, including the link to the Rain Gardens guidelines for Southwest Ohio, which would apply to other areas as well. Check it out. Um, Just kind of block out Steve Foltz there on the cover uh, and then uh, enjoy the rest of it. Great job. You guys, you know what? You guys all do such a great job for the parks. I can't applaud you all enough for what you do. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure um, being on your show. And, um, yeah, good luck, everyone, trying to build a rain garden. There you go. Amanda Nury from the Great Parks, thank you so much. All right, we'll take a quick – well, we're not okay. we got a couple minutes to go yet. Again, their website is greatparks.org. Be sure and check it out. Rain Garden Guidelines for Southwest Ohio is a good guideline. Uh, it was put together several years ago when rain gardens were just kind of coming in, uh, kind of becoming a, a thing and uh, and it's still great. I think they've updated it probably a couple times, but great illustrations. Um, shows you how to put that together. And I kid Steve Foltz because, you know, Steve's on our show all the time. But, um, of course, if you look at his picture, Steve uh, that, who? that may have been taken 15 years ago, longer than that ago. He looks pretty young in that picture. But anyway, uh, it, it is something you might want to consider in your yard and garden to keep that runoff in your own area. And if you do have a situation where it, kind of slopes down into a low area, this may be something you take a look at uh, in a situation like that as well. But, again, go to their website. You can check it out, and it has all that information for you uh, that you can download. It's absolutely free. Greatparks.org is the website. And, of course, the book we were talking about earlier, uh, Shrubs and Hedges by Eva Monheim. I want to tell you something. This is Check this book out. It is really cool, and it covers all of the tree, the the um, shrubs and hedges. Those are like the mainstay of your landscape. This covers them all. It tells you how to prune. It tells you how to propagate. It tells you how to take care of them. How to make hedges. How to uh, do espaliering. How to do rain garden uh, plants for rain gardens. It is really well written. How to do uh, pollinator plants as well. Uh, but this is a great reference one for you too. Shrubs and hedges by Eva Monheim. Be sure and check that out. And it's I think it's interesting that the the last chapter in here does address ponds. Oh, she also addresses uh, slopes and hillsides, which is a tough one sometimes. What to grow on slopes and hillsides? She addresses that as well in this book. But the ponds and rain gardens and addresses a lot of the generic plants across the country that you can use for those as well. So I think you'll see rain gardens becoming more and more of a thing, um, especially in places like the Great Parks and places like that. Uh, to collect up that rain off and uh, keep it from running into our creeks and streams, percolate it back down through the soil and reprocess it so it gets back down to the water system and uh, and we're good to go there. So if you want to learn more about it, again, for local here or anywhere, you can actually go to uh, uh, greatparks.org, download that. Like I say, I think that uh, brochure would be good just about <clears throat> anywhere in the country. Anybody that's listening to our show would work for you there as well. All right, we're gonna we will take a break, and when we come back, we will have the phone lines open for you at 800-823-8255. I want to remind you, don't forget our website. It's ronwilsononline.com. Our plan of the week this week is a really cool perennial. And I'm I'm being upfront with you, it may be a little bit more difficult to find, but hopefully we're gonna grow it more and more every year. It's called Red Birds in a Tree. And when you see the picture, you're gonna understand why it's called Red Birds in a Tree. And that is the common name. Because all these little flowers on this conical-shaped flower head at the top of the perennial look like cardinals, redbirds, sitting, and even have like a little beak sitting on the, on the plant. Hummingbirds love this plant. 
It is a perennial. Comes back every year. Very hardy. I think it's a zone four. Gets about three feet tall, but uh, absolutely outstanding. But again, maybe a little bit tougher one to find, but check with your local garden or nursery. Maybe they'll grow them uh, for the fall or for next year. But it's called Red Bird's in a tree, plus all of our other goodies on there, Buggy Joe Boggs, uh, how, to, how to Help the Bees and Pollinators, Rita's Recipe for Strawberry Pie, Mm-mm-mm. and a whole, whole lot more at ronwilsononline.com. All right, quick break. We come back. Phone lines are open for you, 800-823-8255. It's all happening here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Ron has the answers at 1-800-823-TALK. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. That toll-free number here in the garden, 800-823-8255. Good morning. I am Ron Wilson, your personal yard boy, talking about yardening. Moving our way through the month of June. Um, Beautiful weather here this weekend. I hope it's the same in uh, your area as well. Good planting weather. Um, So far, so good. We've had some hot days. There's no doubt about it. But for the most part, can't do much complaining. Uh, but hopefully you're still getting out and planting. Remember, June's a great month to plant. Uh, we can still plant the vegetable garden right up till about the 4th of July. Then we start thinking about things that we're going to plant for the fall vegetable garden. But uh, still time to do that as well. June is perennial gardening month. Get out and plant those perennials. Get out to your local independent garden centers. They're going to have all kinds of perennials available for you now. They're starting to flower, a lot of them, and you can see what they look like and helps you with your planning uh, when you're when you're thinking about planting perennials. And remember... When you're doing your perennial gardens and adding perennials to containers, vegetable or vegetable garden, well, you could have plant them around the outside of your vegetable garden, perennial gardens, landscape, whatever it may be. Um, also think about the pollinators and not so much things that flower during the summertime, but think about what can I plant that would be very early in the season? What can I plant that would be midsummer? And what can I plant that would be in the fall that would be flowering that would be a source of food for these pollinators. Think about that and try to incorporate all three in your plantings if you can. But again, this is a great month to get out and check those out. So be sure and uh, get out to your local independent garden centers, find out what's going on there as far as perennials. Um, I think you're going to find a very nice selection out there right now. As a matter of fact, on our website at ronwilsononline.com, we've been featuring perennials this month. Uh, This week is uh, Red Birds in a Tree. Yep, that's the name of it, Red Birds in a Tree. Be sure and check that out. The hummingbirds love it. It may be one that may be a little bit more difficult to find, 
Um, not everybody grows it, but uh, if you can't find it, uh, check with your local garden centers or local nurseries and ask them to grow it for you for the fall planting or for next year. But it's a really cool plant because they look just like red birds sitting on the flower stalks. Pretty cool. So be sure to check it out. Rita's recipe, I'll get it out, is a strawberry pie just in time for Father's Day next weekend. Uh, Be sure to check that out. Of course, Buggy Joe Boggs has his usual posts on there. Uh, We also have some posts on how to help the bees and the pollinators. Um, some shrub favorites and a whole nine yards. So be sure to check it out at ronwilsononline.com. Facebook page also going on right now. It's uh, In the Garden with Ron Wilson. So check that out um, as well. 800-823-8255 is our number. Back to the gardening phone lines. We shall go to Alabama. I just want you to know that yesterday, a friend of mine who was both a an Alabama fan and a UK yeah. fan was looking for a sprinkler. And Dram makes all these colorful sprinklers. And so I said you can have your Roll Tide Red or you can have your UK Blue. He took the UK Blue. Well, you know, you got... You can't win them all, Ron. I was... But I offered it. You know, I was out there. I appreciate that. You know, we can't have them all. I got a question for Amanda, the rain garden lady, though. She's going to have to, if the tide rolls, the crimson tide rolls, she's going to have to convert the entire state of Ohio to a rain garden. <laughs> I love it. I love okay. it. Okay. Let's get to the garden question. All right. Gladiolas uh, did really well. Beautiful flowers. And uh, they're coming to their end. My question is, will they bloom again, or do you only get one bloom out of them? What, what was it? I didn't catch it at the beginning. Gladiolas. Glads. Uh, now yeah, that, yeah, now that's a one-time shot. So when you plant gladiolas, you, you, it's good to plant them on like a two-week, three-week uh, succession planting right? so that you've got different flowers at different times, and that way you've got them carried throughout the entire season. Well, I planted them before I started listening to Ron Wilson. So. <laughs> yeah, well. Now, uh, the foliage. Yes. Can I cut it? It's very tall, of course. Can I cut it back now, or is it like uh, daffodils and those things? You wait until it turns yellow. Yeah, what do you, I do with the foliage? You've got to wait because now it's putting all the energy back into that that's, corm for you. To, when you, you know, do you still dig those up in the fall and put them back in, or are they? No, I, I can leave them in. Yeah. Well, what I do in, in the winter here because we're pretty mild. I just I heavily mulch with pine straw. Got it. I mean, I get a lot of annuals, a lot of volunteer annuals that come back because I'll just mail them up with pine straw. Sure. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're fortunate. You're just at that point where you can do that. But unfortunately, okay. with the glads, that's just the way that works. You got to, you know, that okay. they're all out and they're, you get the one shot, it's done. Well, I, all my neighbors' uh, husbands are mad at me because I keep bringing flowers to their wives. So, <laughs> As long as that's uh, all you're doing, Harold. Oh, of course. Right. Okay, I'm, I'm just I mean, I, I'm, I'm a southern gentleman. I got it. Just, um, just making sure. Next question. I, I have re, I had my yard laid inside about five weeks ago. It's looking great. Couple of small areas. Can I put sand in those areas? Probably some of the seams that separated. Can I go in and put sand in those areas just to build it up? Yeah, you you want to put you you know whatever it matches the same the soil that you got underneath them. You want to try to put that between them, and you want to seal that up as fast as you can because those edges, which you may already starting to see, will brown a little bit. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. Yeah, so, so you so you want to come back. Top 
Not sand. Not sand. Use it. Use it, something that would be cr- close to matching what's underneath it. Your your regular your native soil, if you can, really okay. shred it and try to get that back in there. But you want to do that as soon as you can, or you're you're right. That's going to just start to brown on you. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm starting to see some of that now, yep. so I can get to that. Yeah. Right, I've got a couple of gardening tips from the great state of Alabama. All right. When when I'm putting water, like I put in some water vitas. Right. You know, typically, when you water with the hose, you're going to get a lot of runoff. Right. I take a gallon jug, drill the smallest hole in the bottom of my drill bits, fill that thing up, put it, put it at the base of the plant, and it takes about 30 minutes for that to seep out. And I notice that you get a, I get a really good soak on that. Because it goes straight down into the root ball. Yeah, instead of it just running off. So yeah. that's, gonna, that's a good water conservation. Good. The other thing I do is when I plant a shrub or a tree or something of that nature, I take cardboard tubes. I get them from our fabric that we sew cushions. Cardboard tubes, or you can use a small PVC pipe. Put that into the root ball, and then you can actually pour your water into that tube, mm-hmm. and the water goes directly down to the root ball, and you don't get the runoff. Right. That's... And, and also, I mix it with, and I'll use my photo-on root stimulator, and I know that way the root stimulator is not going to run off on the ground. And then after the tree gets established, you just go in there and pull it out. Pull that thing back out of there, or leave it there. It's always a great way to water it as well. Sure, sure, sure. Great tips. Back on those grads, you know what color they are, don't you? Uh, Let's see, scarlet and gray? Uh, Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Give give Buggy Joe a big red tide roll for me this morning. I'll give it to him. All right, good good talking to you. You know, and that's a good idea. That's the the, the tube down below. And they'll do that a lot of times in the commercial plantings just to make sure you get moisture down into that root ball. That's where the old Ross root feeder, to me, and I say old because I don't know if there's – I think they've stopped making those. It's unfortunate. You can find other probes, watering probes, like a Ross root feeder. Um, They're still out there, but – that was the thing about that Ross root feeder. I hardly ever used it for fertilizing. I used it for watering because you could take that, attach your hose to it, stick that probe right down into the root ball of the plant, turn it on real slow, and just let that inject the water right into the root ball of the plant. It was the most perfect way to water, whether it was established plants or newly planted plants with a with a larger root ball, obviously. Um, but the Ross root feeder was a, was a way to go. If you, can, if you don't have one, and you can still find them out there every now and then, you'll see them. Um, Scarf one up because that's an easy way to just inject that water right into the ground for both established plants and for uh, newly planted plants as well. Um, No doubt about it. Ross Root Feeder. Maybe they'll bring those things back. Quick break. We come back. We'll jump right back into the gardening phone lines at 800-823-8255 here in the garden with Ron Wilson. How is your garden growing? Call Ron now at 1-800-823-TALK. You're listening to In the Garden with Ron Wilson.
Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. To New Richmond we go. Bob, good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, uh, I'm in New Richmond, Ohio. Can you mm-hmm. hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, and I have I have seven or eight ash trees that I've been cleaning for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're still dying. Okay, I have a group of three in my backyard that um, branches fall out of there to two, two and a half inches in diameter. Okay, and, and it's, it's getting thinner and thinner each year. And yet again, I'm doing the, the triage treatment, so I'm just wondering if there is something else out there that uh, that works better. Oh, well, let me let me back up a second. The thing about the, the trees, remember that treating them for the emerald ash borer um, doesn't necessarily cover other issues that ash trees have had forever before the emerald ash borer came along. And there are cankers, there are other types of borers, um, there are all kinds of things that can cause problems with ash uh, besides the emerald ash borer. So sometimes uh, treating it with uh, with uh, whatever, the triage, um, to protect against emerald ash borer isn't necessarily, you know, the, the it's not a cure-all for everything else. So you may be uh, being effective at protecting against the emerald ash borer, but not against other diseases, cankers, and other things that can be affected or uh, can affect ash trees. I think the thing to remember, if you looked up in the trees right now, can you tell? I mean, do you still see uh, emerald ash borers bothering the trees? I can see my ash. I can see my ash trees getting thinner and thinner okay. and thinner. Here's here's what I would suggest you do. You got at this point because you want to make sure you save them. You've invested a lot of money into those. Is now you need to get somebody to come out and take a physical look at those trees and determine what else is going on. Now, obviously, when you do the triage, you're counting on a healthy tree, conditions to be right, to move that all the way through to give you good coverage. And so hopefully the trees have been doing that for you. If they've been under stress for other reasons, they may not be translocating that through the entire plant. So that could be an issue as well. But now... You've got to step back. You've got to bring in somebody, a, a certified arborist, to come and take a look and make sure, one, that it's not something else besides the emerald ash borer that's causing the issues. And if so, what else needs to be done to protect and keep those trees as healthy as possible? But that comes up every now and then. Folks will say, I've been treating these things for emerald ash borer, but now all of a sudden I'm starting to get dead limbs, a little bit of dieback. Well, there are other issues that could cause problems with ashes as well. And uh, that's where you've got to do everything you can to keep it as healthy as possible. So, Bob, I'm suggesting you, you get a hold of a certified arborist, have them come out and take a look at it, and then take it from there as far as overall diagnosis, what's going on. Well, I, I did. Uh, last year I had a certified arborist here because I was concerned about those trees. Right. What did they say? And, and uh, what he said, he said, well, he said, maybe what we should do is to do a deep root feeding. And so we did that, okay? Mm-hmm. And I spent another five or $600, okay, doing a deep root feeding on a group of of, uh, of five trees and didn't make any difference. So uh, this year I'm taking, I'm, I'm finding a two-inch, Two-inch in diameter branches falling out of the tree, and the the tree canopy is thinner as ever, yeah. thinner than last year. Is it starting to sucker? Can you see some suckers coming out on the trunk of the tree too? Like you know, not yet. Okay, 
Not yet, but I know that once I start seeing those suckers at the bottom of the tree, the tree's that, pretty well dead, yeah. and I'm going to have to get it down. That that's not a good thing. I'm just surprised that, uh, I mean, obviously what they're trying to do when they, when they did the deep root feeding was trying to keep it as healthy as possible and, and promote new growth. Um, but like I say, there are just other issues that can cause that problem as well, and I'm surprised they didn't take a closer look to, to try to determine if there were other issues going on with that tree. Other than so that, we're talking, well, I'm talking about right now eight, seven trees are affected. Okay, the eighth tree yeah. is okay, that uh, that doesn't seem to be affected by any of this. Okay, and I just started treating it uh, three years ago. Mm. Uh, but uh, but the other ones, uh, they're just you know they they're starting to look like uh, well. Four out of the seven are starting to look like skeletons. Right. And, you know, there is a point, you know, when you start looking at that tree, if you look up in that canopy and it's more than about 30% or so, 40% that's lost, in many cases it's at, that's at a point where you make a decision that you probably aren't going to be able to save it, and they'll typically suggest that it comes down because it becomes a structural issue um, that they can't save the tree. And that's usually, like I say, about a... I don't know, 25, 30% loss in the canopy. And that usually becomes a situation where it's like, well, we're not going to do, you know, it's probably not worth your money to put it into it anymore. I I still think, and I don't know, and I, you don't, don't tell me who the arborist was. I still think somebody needs to come out there, another one, and take a, just get a second opinion as you would with a doctor and get a second opinion from somebody um, to take a, a, just a second opinion. And, you know, it may cost you, 75 bucks or something to have them come out and do that. But I would certainly have somebody do that just for a second opinion to take a second look at them. Maybe they'll get up in the tree and take a look at it to try to determine if something else has happened to those ash trees and to determine whether or not it's actual, actually emerald ash borer that's causing the, the problems in those. We've got to go. We've got to take a break, Bob. If you do that, uh, let me know. But I think I would, you know, you've invested a lot of money in those. I would certainly be uh, be interested in having a second opinion uh, with another certified arborist to take a look at it. And if you do that, like I say, please keep me posted so I can find out uh, what they come back with. But I think the thing to remember is that even though you're protecting those with a triage, the systemic insecticide to keep the uh, emerald ash borer away from those ash trees, there are other issues that can cause the ash trees to decline. Um, root issues, root decline, cankers. Uh, there are other diseases that can cause problems, um, and that's where, you know, you've got to get certified arborists out there and, and take a look at it. And sometimes, uh, you know, feeding isn't the only answer. That's why I say you got to make a, get a, get a better diagnosis as far as what's going on. Well worth the money, 75 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is, to get that second opinion. I, I would certainly have that done because it's a, it's, a, it's a valuable investment. You don't want to lose those. And they may be at a point where it's uh, it's not worth doing it at this stage, too, and you have to make that call quit put investing the money into it and save the ones that are still uh, worth keeping around. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We come back, a little home improvement for, with Gary Sullivan. And, of course, Buggy Joe Boggs. Before we go to Gary, remember, I'm encouraging everybody to get out this weekend. If you didn't do it last weekend, go to your local garden center, buy some sunflower seeds, and plant sunflowers. In your yard, give some of the neighbors across the street, whatever it may Let's plant sunflowers all across the country. So every time we see a sunflower, we all smile. We could use that, right? Coming up next, Gary Sullivan here in the garden with Ron Wilson.
come or not, Ron can help at 1-800-823-TALK. This is In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Time for the man, the myth, the legend, the most listened to home improvement show host in the entire solar system. His name is Gary Sullivan. His website is GarySullivanOnline.com. But ladies and gentlemen, here is Mr. Gary Sullivan. Ronnie boy, how are you? I'm good. You'll be proud of me this week. Someone asked about uh, rabbits and if I knew of a sure cure <laughs> to keep them out. And I said, throw a shoe at them. Bet that got you far, didn't it? And they said, what? I said, never mind. <laughs> well, a quote from Mrs. S this week. Yeah. It's getting dry out. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I said, don't tell me that. You two are driving me crazy. It was hey, getting, do you think it is dry out there. Driving you, think, you're already there. <laughs> you think all the home improvement projects and garden projects are done yet? No. <laughs> it keeps going. It just keeps on going. It does keep on going. That's all right. Nothing wrong with that. No. Keep no. on planting. Keep on painting. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of painting going on for sure. For sure. In fact, we're going to have a guest on our show. Uh, uh, in the bottom of the second hour, we'll have uh, one of the technical services uh, folks from Sherman Williams Paint and uh, talk about some of the new acrylic urethane enamels that are out, which are awesome if you're doing woodwork or painting cabinets inside or out. Um, it's, it, it kind of brushes out like the good old oil bases. Hmm. Uh, some of the acrylic enamels dry pretty quick. It's kind of difficult to get that really smooth enameled finish, mm -hmm. but, uh, this has been out for, I'd say a couple of years and got to play with a little bit of it this week. So we're going to have that fella on and talk a little painting. What do you today. mean you got to play with it a little bit this week? Well, play with it with a brush. Oh. I play with paint. So don't you're you, actually don't painting? You play, don't you play with pla plants? I yes. know you do. I see yes. you walk. Yeah, you're, yeah, you know, you just play with them a little bit. All right. See if you like them. I so got you it. don't want to get anything done. Not that I really care about the paint. <laughs> no, I know you don't. I know you don't. You're out there in your tomato patch. You know what I always think of when I think of Sherwin-Williams? When I was a kid in Greensburg, Indiana, and my parents were building a new home, oh. everything was painted with Sherwin-Williams paint. There was a Sherwin-Williams little little store there in downtown Greensburg, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And we went there. I felt like we lived there. <laughs> you probably did for a while. After they got the house, you know, the roof on and everything started painting, I swear we lived at that place picking out paint. and Oh, oh my gosh. Old Chemtone. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> they had a line of paints. It was Chemtone. There was another one. I can't, rem I can't remember what the oh. other one. Chem Glow? I don't know. Chemtone, that goes back, baby. That goes back. I think this store actually even had wallpaper and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the Sherwin-Williams stores now have wallpaper. Oh, do they? Yeah, it's kind of making a little bit of a resurgence. Yeah. So That uh, faux painting's kind of taken the zap away from the uh, wall coverings. But wall coverings, they got them in the uh, Sherwin-Williams store near me. Yeah. Well, it was just my sister and I just hated going. I mean, you know, 
My That's parents, why you hate painting. That could be one of the reasons. Sit now that down I'm down on my couch, yeah, Let's really. Have a talk. I just, I just, the light bulb went on as I was thinking about that. <laughs> so we get a, you know, a stir stick and kind of go at each other and you know do yeah. stuff and they have sword fights with. Yeah, them. try to occupy our time while my parents were working with the salesperson on what exact tint of paint oh, they wanted to use. Oh boy, in their... well, you know that feeling, right, Mister Bathroom? Uh yeah. Okay. How many <laughs> colors did you have on that wall? It doesn't matter. Over was it double digits or did you just get up to nah, around the six or eight? We were getting close though. Okay, did you get the right color though? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Yes, you know. Because we stopped at one point. Thank you, thank you. You know if you did, <laughs> yeah, or you'd have a few more samples on that wall, yeah. But just think back, and you know, it's so much easier now, Ron, because if you would have painted that whole bathroom before they had the little samples that you could brush on the wall, think you would have painted that room eight times. And with your love for painting, it would have really challenged your... It would have challenged me. Yeah. No yeah, doubt. You may not have been too patient like you usually are. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. But now we know why you hate painting, so that's always that, good. That uh, could be part of the problem. Yeah. So you like this coolish weather. I Is that do. good for the garden? I, oh, it's absolutely wonderful. Bam. Everything's growing. Bam. Oh, yeah. It's loving it. Not, you know, not sweating too much. Plants aren't sweating too much. You're not sweating. I'm not sweating too much. Life is good. Life is uh, pretty good. Yeah. We got the we got our patio planted, uh, you know, now it's uh trying to maintain it, keep, you know, water things properly and learning, right. learning how to water and so it's good. Yeah, well, you know, I I water till they say please. Stop. Enough. I'm not that thirsty. <laughs> you talk to your plants, don't you? Uh, occasionally. Yeah, they tell you. Yeah. I I like to play music in the garden with them as well. What? So our, our our plants rock and roll. Do you have some of those garden fairies in your garden too? No, we don't. What you type know. of music do you no. play, Ron? Is it eighties? That's play, another good question. I play, every, I play everything. Oh. Seventies funk. <laughs> yeah. Well you plant them for the peppers? Hot peppers? Everything. Everything. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's so good. you were do you are you out there with them then? I mean, oh absolutely. Okay. Oh yeah. With your spade, I, I'm I'm dancing I'm dancing with the deer villas. Take pictures on that. Yeah, you, you're not into the garden fairies. No, no, no. You sound like you would tell people not to be involved. With I those. personally, no, it's a that's a personal preference. I'm just not into the garden fairies. Are they still as strong as they Little were gnomes. five years ago? Yeah, the gnomes are still out there. Okay, they're still doing their thing. You know, we, we have Gary. We actually have two of them, um, you, and you they're. Hit them on. They're, under the deck, didn't you? They don't belong to me. I'll just tell you that much. <laughs> well, uh, we used to go by this one house. It, it looked kind of like a cemetery. There were so many gnomes. <laughs> concrete gnomes everywhere. And there was like a an old wagon with a spiked wheel that was turned on its side and it's rusted. I'm going, is this, is this a movie set or yeah, really? a house? Was that in Montgomery? I can't say. Okay. <laughs> just curious. But what's the deal with that? I don't know. Okay. Got me on maybe. that one. I thought maybe you would. No, I don't know. So. See, some people like that. Me, it's, that would drive me insane. Yeah, it's per, it's personal taste. That would drive me crazy. I'd be out there painting the rusted wheel. <laughs> Somebody say, "Why are you painting that rusted wheel?" It's supposed, it's supposed to, to be rusted. Like well, it looks terrible. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Jeez, All right, so geez. we're going to talk about painting today. We are going to talk about painting today. We're going to have a big emphasis on painting. Big emphasis little... on painting. Yeah, tomorrow we got a pretty cool thing, too. we got an under-the-deck ceiling. So Ooh, we don't think folks... about that too much. No, but I'll tell you what. If your deck's, you know, 10 feet off the ground. 
Oh, that and kind of an under the deck ceiling. Yeah, uh, exactly. Ceiling, as in C I E I L. Oh, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, E I E I O. Yeah, I yeah. thought you meant like paint. You know, sealer. I know. So what it does is it catches the water. Yeah. Takes so you, it to a guttering system, and now you got a dry space below the deck. So you can live underneath the deck. Well, you don't have to live there, but you could. But you, you can, can hang out underneath there. there. You could hang under, hang out under the yeah. It doesn't say damp underneath there. Yeah, I'm worrying about you because you're always worrying about living somewhere else. <laughs> and now you're now you're living under a deck. I mean, mm, I think you're. I'm inner just thinking gopher, of places. Your inner gopher's coming through. You can, I was thinking like you could hang your uh, hammock underneath there. You could do that. See. You could do that. Well, TV boy, up in the, the last corner. few days, how good would that have felt? Would have been wonderful. It sure would have. Would have been wonderful. Gary Sullivan, yes, I'm looking forward to your program, well, as I always you. do. I'm looking forward to the program also. Good. His, Me too. His name is Gary Sullivan. His <laughs> website is GarySullivanOnline.com. Be sure and check it out. Coming up next, Buggy Joe Boggs, here in the Garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden, and he's Ron Wilson. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Yes, it is time for the Bucky Joe Boggs Report. That would be Mr. Joe Boggs, Assistant Professor of Commercial Horticulture Educator for The Ohio State University Extension, OSU Department of Entomology. He is also the poster boy for the OSU Extension. Co-creator of Mothra Coffee Emporium, where every cup of Joe (laughs) is as bold as King Adora, yet smooth as Mothra's silky wings. Joe, we welcome you to our program. Well, this is... uh... Wait a minute. I, I Somebody got the wrong number here. Aren't you on NPR? I was about to ask you if I'm producing a show on NPR right now. <laughs> it's time for the Bucky Joe Boggs Report. Uh, there we are. Listen to you. I thought I was looking at the at the you know the dial on the radio. You know, I was like, was that really the noticed? Durango kid that called me? And do you know I that just dated me badly. I mean, when was the last time you've seen I a dial, at the dial on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that. <laughs> I was looking at the digital display, and uh, yeah, yeah, you were really, uh, you were really. Thank you, Joe. It's a, such a pleasure having you on with us this morning. Well, it is my pleasure too, Ron. I mean, it's just not a very nice, a very nice morning indeed. <laughs> <laughs> can't Boy, do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. So are, can't. You, are you headed back to your home state, to your to your home country, uh, to watch all the periodical cicadas? You know, I thought about that, but uh, yeah, it was, but they're all wearing masks, so you can't get any good pictures of them. So <laughs> it's hardly worth it. Right? So, so the males are going to be like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. yes. This particular brood is in serious trouble. They can't, you know, they can't sing. You know, it's just it's the mask singers and all that, and it's just it's just a mess down there. Oh my. North well, Carolina, next, Virginia, and West Virginia, but it seems like West Virginia, like the whole state, was you know it's, colored it's in for pretty, that. 
Well, it is. But, you know, again, and of course, uh, because of, of being heavily forested, and that's and that's key to periodical cicadas. Now, we are all, as a matter of fact, and next I didn't year. Mean to, I didn't mean to get you to talk about periodical cicadas. No, no. But, you know, next year, you know, we're going to, we're going to, when I say we collectively, man, a lot of states are going to see one of the, the emergence of one of the largest broods geographically, uh, you know, that we have mm-hmm. of the 17 year periodical cicada. And that's where their name comes from. Now, we're not talking about, and I always do this. Now, I grew up, you know, you maybe grew up this way, too, that they were called locusts, right? Yep. And and I uh, I did a big old alert about this because um, Brood 10 next spring will cover Ohio. It'll go all the way into the south. Delaware, Georgia, a- Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Maryland, Michigan, North Carolina, New Jersey, North, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Washington, D.C. Big, big. That's big. big. That's huge, baby. Big covers. I really mean, big. It's huge. We're probably talking, you know, we're probably talking local news at the very least. National, maybe. I don't know. But at any rate, <laughs> yeah, um, it's going to be big. But we are going, we are now here. you just here, call you know, me that? I, a butt? No. I just realized oh. what I did there. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, <laughs> I, I I heard some singing yes. uh, earlier this week. Too. Really? Yeah. Now, what does that mean? And what does like, that oh, mean? My. Well, it means that they're the the two male cicadas that were doing that belong to the Lonely Hearts Club. That's what it means. Every every year, every time there's a brood emergence. So let's go back though. Just a couple of quick things. I kind of jumped around there. So uh, the locust thing. Mm-hmm. You know that it's speculated. There's a lot of speculation on this. No one's really really has the, you know, the smoking gun saying, okay, here's where I've read this. and But, you know, we don't have periodical cicadas in Europe, right? So they're a North American insect. And um, and if you're, you know, if you come over on the Mayflower, you know, or you come over early on and, and you're walking around New England and all of a sudden this huge horde of insects come boiling out of the ground, well, what do you have to go by? You know, in terms of what is this thing? Well, you have the Bible, right? Exodus. Right. Right. And so, you know, what's in there? Well, the locust plagues. Well, see, Europe didn't have locust plagues either. So you wouldn't know what a locust really was for sure, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there isn't. Um, so there you have it. What would you call this huge mass, almost apocalyptic <laughs> you know, looking thing coming right. out of the ground? And so it's believed that perhaps that's where the term, they, you know, being called locusts as opposed to cicadas. And that is kind of important because, again, locusts, when I hear locusts, you know, we're, we're thinking grasshoppers. We're thinking about these other types of insects that cause great damage. Well, periodical cicadas really are like giant aphids, except – and they do feed. They do have sucking mouth parts, but, of course, that's not the main – cause of the damage, and then we'll get to even is the damage important in the first place, um, the damage occurs because at the other end of their body, they have this ovipositor egg layer, this big sharp device that they insert eggs, you know, into stems, into tree stems. Um, now, that causes those stems typically, not always, to, to die, you know, beyond that. And, of course, you see all this 
these brown foliage, and we call that flagging because of like surveyors tape flagging, you know, flag something out there. Mm-hmm. Now, the the intention there is for that to break off. The intention, you know, of the cicada, of course, you know, we don't know for sure. They just, you know, every time you put a microphone in front of them, they just they clam don't up. talk. You yeah. know, they just clam up. They just don't say a word. Very, you know, very loud. Well, I heard you singing a minute ago. Well, you know, now they aren't. So, but we think that that's the, that's the whole purpose of this killing the, the stem because when those eggs hatch, the little, what we call first instar nymph, that's what hatches right out to little miniature cicada, has to get into the soil. So you think about it, boy, that would make good sense if the branch that they were on as an egg broke off and hit the ground and they just sort of step off and they're right there in the, you know, at the surface of the soil. Otherwise, you know, they're jumping out of the trees, which means that they could get blown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can hear that. Oh, mom really messed up this time. And, and so at the end of the day, you know, that flagging is what people see. And on very small trees, yes, that can be pretty damaging. Newly planted trees, and all, but large trees, really, it's kind of like a natural pruning. You know, that doesn't really cause any great harm. So next year, you know, we're going to see this, this huge brood. Um, but we're not going to see it everywhere. Right now, for example... In the current brood nine, and of course they're given Roman numeral names, but the current brood nine, it's it is spotty. My understanding is, well, you can drive, you know, you can go around and you can find, you know, some very high concentrations, and then you go and there's hardly any. Typically, though, in forested areas, they're a little more consistent because the trees have been there for many, many, many years, and that's the key. So, for example, if you're in a location right now in parts of North Carolina, let's say, where you're really not seeing it, you might look around and say, well, when was my housing development put in? And there were trees here, but there aren't any now. And so there's nothing for the cicadas to emerge from. And that's that's important because, you know, people do get pretty pretty excited and sometimes very upset about these. But as you recall, Ron, we talked about (laughs) – we were on the radio show the last time we had an emergence here. <laughs> that was a long time ago. I know. I just, it just occurred to me because I yeah. remember us talking about yeah. this. Well, anyway, let me. Next, let me, next year. Uh, next year. Next year. It's going to be here. But we already have something else, though, that you know to draw our attention to. Bagworms. The game really? foot. By the way, how did you know the ones that were singing were not dog day cicadas. Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, how I, you know, I did that. Don't you always like that? You know, when somebody asks, Oh, that, Why, that's that, an I excellent question. I tell you, I could spend hours on the answer for that one. Um, well, because dog day cicadas emerge during the dog days. And that, that is a very good question because also you have the cicada killer wasp associated with dog day cicadas, one of our largest wasps that we find, for example, in, in Ohio. Soon to be highly mistaken for the murder Asian hornet. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now, let's not go that direction. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. We, but but you do need to pick up a station out in the Pacific Northwest, right? You don't, we don't, <laughs> you don't, you know, <laughs> that way we yeah. can talk about it. Yeah. So bagworms. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not 
I don't know what's happening this year. This has been a strange season. I was also going to talk a bit about, you know, webworms. But you and I already talked about this. Eastern tent caterpillar was pretty much a no-show. Right. And, I, and, and you know, I don't and now know. now you're exactly. becoming a no-show because the music's playing. Then, yeah, well, that's it. Okay, we'll talk about fall webworm next <laughs> next week. So, sure? <laughs> I'm sure. So should we you keep say, our eyes open for bagworms? And bagworms. Oh, absolutely. We right. can talk about those next week, too, because right. they won't be much bigger. Got it. All right, Joe, thanks. Always <laughs> a pleasure. You. Have a good weekend. <laughs> Thanks to all of our callers. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks, of course, to our producer. That would be Danny Gleason, the Durango Kid, because without Danny, none of this stuff would happen. Trust me, it would not happen. Now, do yourself a favor. Let's get out there and let's all plant sunflowers. Everybody plants sunflowers. So everywhere you look, you see a sunflower. You can't help but smile when you see a sunflower. Think about where you're going to plant those pollinator plants, native plants in there as well. We're going to plant a few trees, and by all means, make it the best weekend of your life. See ya. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden, and he's Ron Wilson. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.